Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, set your alarms, get your coffee timers ready to go because the UFC is back in Abu Dhabi tomorrow. UFC 267, fun card, two title fights, a big one at 155, the return of one of the breakout stars in the sport from 2020 and much more, and it's an early start time. So let's talk about it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the UFC 267 preview show here on MMAfighting.com. Going old school with this one, I am Mike Heck, and joining me around 7,500 miles away from Command Center 3.0 in Abu Dhabi is Jose Youngs, who has been a busy man today and all this week. But, Jose, let's get right into this thing because while a lot of people seem to be talking more about UFC 268, the two title fight rematches on that card at MSG, the purists... The fans of high-level martial arts competitions such as yourself, these title fights tomorrow between Jan Bohovic and Glover Teixeira and Piotr Jan versus Corey Sandhagen for interim gold, these may not have the, the sizzle, the big-time trash talk, the politics, the things that typically sell fights to the casual audience, but for fans of the sport, it's tough to top these two championship bouts. Agree or disagree? 100%. I mean... I've said it before. Like, I know I accidentally called Piotr Jan the champion at the UFC 267 press conference. Obviously, Al Jermaine is the champion won by disqualification. But a lot of people consider, especially the fans and my Twitter mentions, consider Piotr Jan the undisputed Bantamweight champion of the world. They don't think he should have lost. He was well on his way to beating Al Jermaine Strong. And, of course, a lot of people, including a lot of people on this site, a lot of people that do post shows and preview shows and Q&As and everything, a lot of people think Corey Sandhagen beats TJ Dillashaw. So, obviously, if Piotr Jan doesn't throw the illegal knee, and one of those judges scores it first, uh, Corey Sanhagen. This is the fight that's happening anyway. So a lot of people just consider this the actual title fight between the two best bantamweights on planet Earth. So and then and then obviously uh, Glover Teixeira and Jan Blachowicz have it's almost to a point where they're best friends. I'm going to say it. Not on the level as Mike Perry and Luis Pena, as I famously pointed out one time in a media scrum. But like if you just saw Jan Blachowicz stopped by and gave. Glover to share a beer from his hometown from the brewery his family works at for his birthday. So they're basically best friends at this point. It's just they're both are monsters inside the octagon, and there's no question Glover's the number one contender. A lot of people thought Jan wasn't the best. Was It was just inevitability for him losing to his last song, and he won. So this is number one versus number two. And then it's in the main event, and then it's the fight that everybody considers to be for the undisputed title in the co-main event. It's just a logical conclusion to these fights uh, leading up to this point. So, uh, yeah, 10 out of 10 across the board in terms of martial arts. Love everything about it. And what I love about this main event is this is probably, if you really think about the history of the UFC, especially the last decade or so, this might be the most unlikely title fight in UFC history. You got Jan Blachowicz defending his title for the second time against the young, spry, surging 42-year-old Glover Teixeira. 
And starting from his last title shot at the belt against John Jones, Glover, five and five over a 10 fight stretch. And then he goes on this incredible run, five straight wins, four finishes, take it on the champion and Jan Blachowicz, who around four, four and a half years ago from this day had lost four out of his last five. He lost a decision to Patrick Cummins. But since then, what a mm-hmm. run he has been on. He's won nine out of 10, became the champion. Incredible stuff. Just beat Israel Adesanya. If I told you four years ago that Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira were going to headline a numbered UFC event for the undisputed light heavyweight title at a combined age of 80, would you have believed me? Maybe Glover, uh, just because, you know, he had a lot of hype coming into this uh, this UFC into his UFC run and I know he stumbles a lot but there's been so many weird things uh with like fights falling out and people need to replace it like because remember Glover was the backup to a fight before this he was the backup uh to Jan Blachowicz so maybe Glover just as like one of those weird circumstances that kind of thrust him into a title fight but Jan no way uh after he beat Rockhold I said oh like maybe maybe Jan is a top eight light heavyweight in the world and then he went on and beat Jacare. i was like oh you know that's a middleweight he was actually favored to win and it was a fight that i can't remember a single thing about it and then like when he beat dom when when he beat and he also lost tiago santos in the main event but when he beat like the dominant like obviously beating dominic reyes for the title uh but beating Corey anderson was very impressive in the way he did because obviously people thought Corey anderson should have been just fighting john jones to begin with like he didn't need to fight uh, Jan because we all know if Johnny Walker had beaten Corey Anderson, that they would have just made John Jones versus Johnny Walker. So the fact that Corey Anderson didn't get the title shot and then Jan Blachowicz knocked him out, that's what cemented uh, Jan Blachowicz in my mind. And I think what was he? He was an underdog in eight of his last nine fights. The only outlier was that Jacare fight. So Jacques, Jan Blachowicz headlining a numbered event as the defending champion is very bizarre. But I could see, I could see scenarios where Glover would be thrust into the main event. Yes, the magic of MMA, Jose. Two guys who have earned their right to be in this spot with I their mean, performances, right? Freaking Juan, Juan Soto headlined a, a UFC pay-per-view, so anything is possible. Just, yeah. Juan Soto. What's I mean, Joe Soto. Joe, Joe Soto, Soto, yeah. Juan Soto. But I mean, just, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just yeah, I mean, there's, no, there's no tomfoolery here. This is two guys who have earned their spots, determination, never-say-die attitudes, and it's a really interesting fight between the man with the legendary Polish power and a ground specialist who has shown he can take a big shot as well over these last several fights and can lay some in himself. Glover Teixeira has looked amazing. When you look at this fight, like the X's and O's breaking it down, like what stands out to you? What's the big talking point when you look at this fight from that scenario? Breaking it down X's and O's, uh, everyone knows that Jan is, has incredible Polish power. Like that's obviously, I think that should just become his nickname and he should just run with it and make all the t-shirts and make all the money in the world. But he has a lot of submission wins. I don't know if he has as many. Maybe he has like one or two more submission wins in his MMA career. I know they all came before the UFC, but he has a couple submission wins in the UFC as well. So I think Jan's defensive grappling, like, you know, he can like catch you and make a mistake, like Alistair Overeem type guillotine. You know, when people shoot on him, he just snatch up that guillotine. As Dan Hardy once said it, like that Dutch kickboxing guillotine. He has like that type of grappling. And Glover, I said this when he fought Anthony Smith, he's really a guy that, it doesn't matter if it's on the feet. doesn't matter if it's on the canvas. doesn't matter if it's against the fence. He really has no glaring weaknesses. Yes, people are better at him in certain point, in certain areas, but he doesn't look like a fish out of water anyway. You can put him on the ground, and he's a very high-level grappler. You dirty box with him, he's a very high-level boxer. If you tw- want to do Muay Thai with him, he's a very high-level Muay Thai fighter. He's, he's just kind of – he's very good everywhere. 
And Jan is underrated in a lot of places, considering he's knocking people out. So this is a matchup of two guys that a lot of people underrate in almost every aspect of MMA. And that's why I love this fight. Blahovich currently a minus 305 favorite, according to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. Come back on Glover to share a plus 240. I, I want to ask you about the stakes here because, of course, there is a world title on the line. It's a main event, but we have, you know, some hungry guys, some surging contenders at 205 right now. 205 is in an interesting spot, and one of those guys is fighting on this card tomorrow. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if Jan is sitting at the immediate rematch table. And Glover, let's be honest, he's not getting any younger, so this has to be the last chance for him fighting for a title, barring something crazy. But if Jan Bohovich loses the title to Glover Teixeira, at this point in his career, is this his last chance to be the world champion, at least for the foreseeable future? If Glover, if, if Glover wins or if Jan wins? If Glover wins. For Jan. If like, Glover if Jan wins. loses the title tomorrow, is he out of the title picture, maybe for the rest of his career? No, I don't think so, because he's kind of emerged as a very popular fighter, especially in Europe. He does, he's, I think he's an underrated interview. He's an underrated trash talk. Me too. He kind of, he's, a very, he's a very fun fighter and i think fans have gravitated towards him and like we saw like brian ortega lost to max holloway and then won one more against korean zombie and then he got the title shot against alex volkanovsky so it would really depend because like i think Jan and yuri kind of have this interesting right like yuri prohashki who obviously weighed in his backup they kind of have this weird regional rivalry where they want to do like they, they talk some fun trash but it's very like americans don't quite get it is what i'm trying to say so i think like if glover wins and then Yuri beats Glover because the, uh, I th- obviously Yuri's going to fight the winner of this. Then I think they would try to do Yuri and Jan just because they had. There's something there that they've t- they've talked fun trash on Twitter. So it would really depend on what happens next with Glover if Jan loses. Prediction time, Jose. I think Blahovich gets it done. I think he puts him away before the yeah. championship rounds. Like you said, the Polish power, no joke. It's still underrated, even with all the knockouts. Don't care how good your chin is, that Polish power touches you, you could be in some trouble. And Glover is a gamer. He's going to take a few of those, but I don't know how many he can take. I think Blahovich retains. I think it's a fun fight for as long as it lasts. Your thoughts, your pick. Yeah, and I'm not going to try to break this down like X's and O's style because I think this fight is very, very close. I'm just the only, the reason I'm tipping towards John Blahovich is because I just, if you line up his, res, his recent resume against Glover's, it's very clearly Jan has fought the heart like the tougher opponents like like what is it like tiago santos like rockhold jacare like dominic reyes Corey anderson like these are like israel out of sign you had never lost in mma until he fought jan blahovich and then all of a sudden he was out of his element against jan blahovich glover's fought and beaten some great guys i think the tiago santos win has aged hasn't aged as well considering how tiago santos lost people say the same thing how tiago santos beat jan blahovich in that main event so uh, what was that? That was in Prague, if I remember correctly. Um, so just based on recent resume, I have to go with the young, spry 40-year-old Jan Blahovich. <laughs> That's a great fight. Co-main event is awesome. Jan versus Sanhagen, interim bantamweight oh. title, or as I like to put it, the interim intercontinental championship. This fight is so good. Jan Sterling would have been phenomenal. Jan versus Font, Jan versus Dillashaw, all would have been phenomenal fights. But for the third or fourth option here with Corey Sanhagen, I mean, this just goes to show you, A, how fun and and good this division really is, and B, on the right night with the right pairing of all these guys, all the different styles these fighters bring to the table, 
it seems like the Bantamweight Championship, currently held by Aljamain Sterling, we could be in for a fun game of hot potato with that title that could last for years. Could we not? Like, this fight is just an incredible example of that. It's going to be like lightweight. Like, what's the most title defenses ever is three because lightweight was so competitive for so long. I think that's just how it's going to be. Uh, I, I, like you said, like the Font fight would have been fun, the Aldo fight, the Dillashaw fight, but like Dillashaw's hurt. If Dillashaw was healthy, Jan Dillashaw is the fight to make. I know a lot of people think, including myself, that Sanhagen won, but I'm also in the boat that wins and losses matter. And if you have a win, official win on your record, you move forward as if you won. So, TJ Dillashaw should have this title shot. He's obviously hurt because of Corey, because of Corey Sanhagen. Let's not forget that. So I thought Corey Sanhagen was the next man up. I think Rob Font needs one more win. Uh, uh, Cody Garbrandt, it was a great win. He kind of just, if he had just gone and just melted him like Pedro Munoz, I'm all about Rob Font. I think if Font fights, beats Jose Aldo, no brainer give him a title shot. Corey Sanhagen, I think, is the best bandwagon on planet Earth. I just think he is – like, you, you talk to like, Coach Damon, like you said. Is, I, I think you interviewed – he said that like Sanhagen was, gonna, was, was always going to be his toughest fight. Henry Cejudo just did his, his podcast, and he said, I always thought Corey Sanhagen was going to be my toughest fight uh, when, I, when I was at 135. So I just think Corey – I think Corey Sanhagen is the best bandwagon in the world, and I think he's going to be – but at the same time, if this was a full camp prepared Corey Sanhagen, it would be different. So I think this is a 50-50 fight. I, I'm just going to go with Jan. I said all this great stuff about Corey Sanhagen, and I'm still going to pick Jan. <laughs> because we've, we've seen Corey Sanhagen lose. We've seen him lose. We haven't really seen Piotr Jan lose in the UFC. No, we haven't seen Piotr Jan lose in the UFC, like, legitimately. Like, he lost to Alzheimer Sterling, but it was because he messed up. And that is a legitimate loss, but Alzheimer just let's submit him like he did Corey Sanhagen. Uh, he didn't lose a controversial decision like Corey Sanhagen did to Shaw. We haven't seen Piotr Jan in a lot of trouble. So I'm going to pick Piotr Jan. Yeah, I- I'm leaning Jan too. I-, I think the styles are very interesting because Jan, you go ahead. I will say this. I'm not a betting man, but if you're trying to do like a three-fight parlay, I'm pretty sure Corey's the underdog, and I know Glover's the underdog. Why not throw some money on that one other fight and then those two? Because all, both main and co-main are rock closer to 50-50. Agreed. Yeah, Jan's good, really good on the feet. Corey, dangerous on the feet. I'd say Corey with, like, the length, the movement, the dexterity, his mindset when it comes to the striking game, he would probably prefer this thing to be on the feet for as, much as, for as long as possible. Jan, extremely underrated wrestling, good entries for takedowns, very smart, calculated fighter. If he gets this thing to the mat and starts to flow with takedowns, this could be a long night for Corey Sanhagen, especially with you know the short camp and everything. So I'm going to leave with Jan. I, I just think he's a machine, not saying that, that Sanhagen isn't. But Jan has been in these long battles like he gets better as the fight goes on i'm not sure how sanhagen will respond to that pace and that pressure and jan just coming and coming and coming getting better and better as the fight goes on but i will say especially with what this division looks like at the top sanhagen needs this one a lot more than jan does in my opinion so we'll see how this thing plays out because jan's already planted the seeds for the sterling rematch there's all that i mean the, the, everything's there that fight can happen at any point sanhagen if he loses that's another loss on the resume that's a tough one to, to come back from, but we'll see. I love the I, fight. We'll see how it plays out. I think the only thing that is in Corey Sanhagen's favor, and actually just I asked Dana White about this when I interviewed him after ceremonial lands. Corey Sanhagen is saving this fight, and the UFC remembers that. So even if Corey loses, 
I don't think this is the last time we see Corey Sanhagen in a big title fight. They're going to remember this. They're going to remember him stepping up on short notice. The UFC doesn't forget that stuff. Oh, yeah. He'll definitely get back. It just, it just could take a very long time because you get with just sure. the way you get Sterling coming back. You get Dillashaw coming back. If Font beats Aldo, hey. he's there. A hey, lot happened. The champ, the champion, and the number one contender are both out for an undetermined amount of time. <laughs> That's why it's the Intercontinental Who champion. knows? There you go. Yep. Of course, we have Islam Makachev, Dan Hooker. That's a big one at 155. But I do want to talk about the return of Hamzat Shemaev. He looked rough yeah. when he stepped on the scale for that first attempt. Missed weight, second attempt. Certainly some, uh, some shenanigans, some tomfoolery with the towel. But in the end, he makes weight for the fight with Ling G- Li Jingliang. You were there, man. You were in the room watching it happen. What did, what did you make of this whole thing? He looked real angry when, because if you remember, he had he came back after an, after a, a lot of amount of time to try to re weigh in because he came in at one seventy one point five, so he's point five pounds over because he could because because this is in a championship fight he could weigh one seventy one. He stepped on the scale and it said one sixty six, and we're like, and then Heidi, who's like everyone that's ever covered a UFC event, she's like the she's the one that like tells the fighters to stare at the screen, and she keeps track of the the weights. She just goes, what? He lost five pounds in 30 minutes? Like, she was like, what is happening here? <laughs> so she had, he had to, like, get off the scale. He had to get off the scale. There was like, we have to fix the scale. And then everyone in the room, like, Paul Felder's like, he's touching the towel. Like, what is happening here? What are we talking about? And everyone in the room's like, it's the towel. He's touching the towel. And then he puts his hands up and he weighs 171. But if you watch that, well, if you watch the clip, because I know it wasn't on the live stream, remember when Habib weighed in and it was like, 155. Same thing. 171. Bam. Didn't even, didn't even get to see the scale. But he 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 made it, whatever. I think he got even if he didn't make it, he's probably like 171.2. Like so just whatever. I just want to see him fight. <laughs> yeah. And I I feel like Jing Liang is the most under the radar fighter on this entire card. Oh. The guy's won four oh. out of five. He three finishes. He has I been mean, he's, he has been so fun to interview this week. He has been – he's like, I'm here, man. I'm going to beat this fool. Like, if you watch our stare down, he is hilarious on that. He's just like – like, Hamzat's like talking. At least like, okay, come over here. Come over here, man. Like, F you, man. I'm like, let's fight right now. And then Hamzat gets like taken away. And then they make Lee go out the other way. They literally – because you know how both the fighters have to exit on the right? They made Lee exit on the left. Because they didn't want him to go fight Hamza backstage, and then and like if you go look at our YouTube numbers, Lee is killing it because he's like, okay, he says he's gonna eat me, maybe, but I'm gonna beat him. So like, Lee has been the absolute like he's been my favorite fighter interview this whole week. He is very funny. I would, but I've heard and I don't know this. Some people are on Twitter saying the translation wasn't the best. Uh, even Hamza is like, you're not. He's not saying that. <laughs> So I, w- I want to know how what what Lee Julian was actually saying during his like long tangents at the press conference. I would like to know that as well. I mean, it is the Shamayev show. Stories about him, big favorite, minus six hundred favorite, mm-hmm. which seems For insanely sure. wide in my eyes. But like you said, Jing Liang eating this all up. He is basking in the spotlight of this card in this fight, and I feel like the weight issues with Shamayev along with the, you know, the horrible effects from COVID he had, everything he's dealt with, that's not being talked about enough here. I thought Jing Liang had some great upside without the weigh-in drama, but did the weigh-in drama this morning, did that change the way you view this fight at all? I'm still picking Hamzat. I think Hamzat is just, 
on another level. I think he's so much better than his record. Like he's nine and zero, but he's he's so good. It's like you know, like Islam. I don't know if he was considered like a future champ when he was like three fights in the UFC, but he just had this like when remember when Habib was three and zero, where he just had this like Corey Sanhagen was the same thing. We were like, it's just a matter of time. I know for a fact that Sean Shelby wanted Hamzat to get a few more wins on the regional scene before he came over into the UFC because even the UFC was like, this guy's unbelievable, but we want him to be a big deal when he gets it. But then they like ran out of people on Fight Island to fight on short notice, so they brought him in really early. And he, they're doing exactly what he thought. He's just tearing through like unranked fighters. So uh, I would have loved to see the Leon fight because I think I still would have picked Leon. I still would have picked Leon. But I think I don't think I think Hamza would have really been in there in five rounds. So I'm very excited to see Hamza fight again. I just I just think he's a future title challenger. I love the leech. I think he's one of the more underrated fighters in the game. He's his his string of wins, especially his win over Santiago Ponzi, is not talked about enough for upset of the year. I'm looking forward. To, I love everything about this fight. I just think Hamza is unbelievable at fist fighting. Last thing, Jose. You know what I'm going to ask you. Under the radar fight fighter storyline on the card tomorrow that just nobody's oh. talking about right now. Oh, it's it's the guy that said no one was going to talk about him. It's Magomed Ankalaev. He's like, I'm going to beat Vulcan Ozdemir, and no one is going to want to fight me. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. And Daniel, Daniel Cormier was like, Magomed Ankalaev could beat Vulcan Ozdemir, and then no one's going to want to fight him. No one's going to call him out. So we're like... Put, to put into perspective, not counting John Jones because John Jones hasn't made his heavyweight debut and we don't know when that's going to happen. So he's still technically a light heavyweight. Malcolm and Ekeliyev has the longest active win streak at light heavyweight, if I'm, if I'm remembering that stat correctly from like a, a past UFC broadcast. He is so good. And like even Daniel Cormier is like, this cat is unbelievable and he's going to be a future title challenger. He doesn't call him a future champion. But when Daniel Cormier a former champ champ and one of the more respected voices in terms of breaking down fighters calls you that you have to listen. I even watched an interview of Habib where they're like, who are the best Russian fighters in every weight class? And he's like, Oh, he, he obviously picks like Islam and Umar and like all these other fighters. But then he picked Ankalaev at light heavyweight. I'm like, yeah, duh. Like Habib is picking Ankalaev. Daniel Cormier is picking Ankalaev. Ankalaev himself is like, I'm going to win. And then I'm not going to get another fight for like a year. Cause no one's going to call me out. So, uh, yeah. Magomed Ankalaev is a bad dude, and I can't wait to watch him fight Vulcan Ozdemir. Who, like, who's Vulcan lost to? Like, Anthony Smith, former title challenger. Daniel Cormier, former champion. Like, Dominic Reyes, future title challenger. Yuri Prohaska, who's the next in line for light heavyweight. So, I like everything about this fight. Vulcan Ozdemir is essentially a gatekeeper at this point. Uh, and Magomed Ankalaev, I think, is going to be a future top three, top four light heavyweight in the world. So, Circle that. And obviously, Amanda Hebos, Vernon Jandaroba is, is just a fun fight. It's two Brazilians, two very, very sweet individuals. Vernon Jandaroba, if you told me that she has the best jiu-jitsu at 115 pounds, I wouldn't argue. I'm really curious how Amanda Hebos does in this fight because like, she beat Mackenzie Dern immediately after Mackenzie Dern gave birth to her daughter. So you got to wonder how ready she was to just jump back into a fight. And then she's lost to Paige. I mean, she beat Paige. And she's beat a few other fighters that, or I think Emily, she beat Emily Whitmire, if I remember yep. correctly. So a lot of fighters that aren't like top seven straw weights, or they maybe weren't ready to come back. And then she fights Marina Rodriguez and Marina just like, like melts her in there. 
And Marina Rodriguez is like everyone considers her like what one fight away from fighting for the title. I think this is a legit test for Amanda against a grappler and an, uh, also like a top 10 strawweight in the world, former Invicta champion. So those are the two fights I would see. The Verna Manahibas fight would answer a lot of questions about the winners and losers. And then Ankalaev, I think, is a future title challenger. And I want to see how Vulcan comes back after his very violent knockout loss, which is what, July 2020, if I remember correctly. And they also got a knee injury. So I want to see how he bounces back from this adversity. So those are the two fights I would circle for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the Hebus John Jaroba train as well. I, I know it's we're not stretching too much. I mean, we're with the featured prelim, yeah. but I mean, six fight main card. The storylines we talked about. No one's talking about this fight, especially the two title fights. Both fighters really good. Like you said, great ground games. John Jaroba has been improving with every fight, especially on the feet. Her striking gotten a lot better. Hebus really well rounded, but she's shown in the past to be a little bit chinny in those firefights. So I, I expect this one yeah. to be on the feet. I expect the ground games to be negated altogether. These two are going to slug it out and it's going to be a perfect lead in for the six fight main card. So I love it. love the fight. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. Underrated prelims, cards. Yeah, really. And if you're in the United States, all you need is an ESPN plus subscription. You don't have to spend 70 bucks. Sorry, AK. I know you got to spend 70 bucks up in Canada, but here we are. We get to watch it for just our regular monthly subscription fee to ESPN. When is it, when is it, when's it start for you guys? 10.30 a.m. Eastern time. 10.30. 7.30 Pacific. Mm. That must be nice. <laughs> And, of course, we will have the People's Pre-Punch Show live at 10 a.m. Eastern. I get a 15-fight card, and then we end. 14. I'm going to say we get out of the arena like 3, 14, correct? I'm going to say we get out of the arena at 3.30 a.m., and then I got to be at the airport at 7 a.m. to go to New York City. And cover another fight week. Yeah, that'll be Hey, man, part of the job. Can't complain. Absolutely. There's worse so. things in the world than traveling literally across planet Earth to watch fist fighting. <laughs> That's absolutely true. So, People's Brief Fight Show live at 10 a.m. Eastern. Main card, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. So, early face punching for all of us, except for those in Abu Dhabi. Jose, enjoy the show, my man. Get some well-deserved rest. We'll see you tomorrow, and we will see you all tomorrow as well. Thanks for checking out the UFC 267 preview show on MMAfighting.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.